the festive period has ended, but the BMJ's annual appeal is still running until the end of January. This year, we've chosen the independent food aid network, IFAN. Now, IFAN is, as the name would suggest, a charity that supports a network of independent food aid providers, whilst also campaigning for the end for the need for food aid. As the pandemic grips the country again, food insecurity is an increasing problem. Many jobs have been lost, and the transition onto universal credit means a gap in income that many are unable to afford. In an earlier podcast with Martin Carraher, who's an Emeritus Professor of Food and Health Policy at City University of London, we heard how this crisis has been a long time coming and is the result of the inattention of successive governments to the issue of hunger and really how much the problem has grown. In this podcast, we'll hear about one way in which IFAN has supported its member organisations. That's by creating nutritional guidelines. Healthy eating is especially hard when you have to factor in things like long-term storage, reduced access to fresh produce, and in some cases, the inability to even afford the electricity to cook with. Hi, uh, my name is Dee Woods. I'm the co-chair of the Independent Food Aid Network um, and I also co-run a community food aid project called the Granville Community Kitchen where we do a lot of food aid right now. I bet, I bet. Um, and Sabine, can I get you to introduce yourself again? Yeah, I'm Sabine Goodwin and I'm the coordinator of the Independent Food Aid Network. So I oversee the day-to-day running of IFAM. Great. And Isabel? Hi, my name is Isabel Rice. I'm a registered dietitian and I work as the senior dietitian at Centrepoint, which is a charity supporting young homeless people. Um, and I'm also a member of IFAN and have been working quite closely with Sabine and Dee recently on some nutritional guidelines for food aid providers. So Dee, I wanted to start with you in this. As someone who's at the, the coal face of providing food aid at the moment, COVID, uh, we've heard before from, from Sabine about how that has affected demand uh, on food aid providers in the UK. And I just wonder, what are some of the, the main challenges that you're dealing with? Um, there are so many challenges. One, the increase in demand. Um, and so for our project, you know, we went, we had a 700% increase and we currently support over 250 households and with a reach of a thousand people a week. And it is difficult to provide enough food, um, enough suitable food, because they all have different needs. We work with a lot of refugees and refugee organizations, um, a lot of people who are destitute and sleeping rough. So that means, you know, having enough nutritious food that doesn't need to be stored. 
or because they can't store it or they can't cook anything and volunteers a lot of people are burnt out or injured and it is it is a lot mm. it is quite a lot mm. and i wondered a little bit you you mentioned some of the detail of the kind of um food that you're providing people uh what is it that that um you're giving out you're handing out in your food packages okay so with granville community kitchen we've always had a very strong ethos about providing culturally appropriate food because we're in a very diverse area of northwest london where almost 400 languages mm. are spoken mm. and we have always been very big on health and nutrition so we pride ourselves on always having provided fresh food um, and hot meals. And one things that we had to stop doing was hot meals because we just didn't have the capacity to do it. Um, in our food parcels, currently we are buying organic vegetables, um, basics, uh, onions, garlic, potatoes, carrots, and other seasonal vegetables to go in it. And we do get some surplus food from our partner charity, City Harvest London, and who we work with very closely, and they understand our needs as well. We also are able to get meat and fish and dairy, so we try to provide truly balanced sort of food parcels but it's not always possible no and i suppose um you know we're recording this at the end of december uh and brexit is around the corner and the, the potential for for even more challenge um getting fresh fruits and, and vegetables yeah. and things yes especially knowing that 98 percent of our fruit is imported from the eu um, part of our work is around food production as well. So we do have allotments and a community garden. So a lot of people who come to us for parcels, they're welcome to volunteer or just help themselves to whatever is available in the garden currently, which is not a lot right now. Not right now, but uh, I'm yeah. sure in the spring. Um, Sabine, if I turn to you at this point, one of the things that the Independent Food Aid Network does is help support food aid providers um, in their work. And, and one of those things was nutritional advice. And was that something that many people were asking for? Yeah, I mean, we were hearing from lots of our members that they were really concerned about how to support um the people in the in, in in longer term in the longer term because they were seeing a lot of people coming again and again through their doors and realizing that always giving out ambient food or tins or pasta wasn't 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 a good idea necessarily and they wanted to find ways of um being able to suggest um way you know ways of eating as healthily as possible of course, um, they oftentimes are trying to seek out fresh fruit and veg, finding ways of providing vouchers perhaps to 
local butcher, etc. But they were they were this was a initiative that was member driven really to try to put together some nutritional guidelines. And I was fortunate enough to be able to to speak to Isabel, who runs um, one of our members social supermarket. Um, and she said, well, let's, you know, let's try and work this out. Let's try and put together some guidelines that could support members of IFAN across the UK if they, if they wanted that support, not sort of foisting it on them, not pushing that agenda, but if they were interested in finding out more about, um, you know, ways that they could diversify their, their list of, of food products and um, maybe suggest menus or maybe suggest um, recipes that people could put together with the kind of items that they could potentially assemble. And uh, Isabel, let's turn to, to you about putting together some of those guidelines. Um, from what uh, Dee and uh, Sabine have said, um, you know, this isn't as simple as, as walking around a supermarket and, and all of the choice available there. There are constraints upon um, people with the kind of food that they're able uh, to provide. So, yeah, I, I just wonder what a little bit about the process of, of putting together some of that advice. Yeah, well, I've, as you've said, um, food banks don't necessarily just have access to whatever food they want to be giving out they they can be quite reliant on what's donated um, or what they what they're able to afford so they might not necessarily get a full choice of everything they want and there's also not necessarily anyone working there that has any nutritional knowledge um, or, or knows this um, and I think what was maybe useful about my position is one I'm a dietitian so I I know the information but also I'm I work in food aid, so I know the constraints and the difficulties of of working in food aid and trying to provide um, trying to provide things that are balanced. And that was that the way we approach our social supermarket is that it's health led. So um, a simple thing we did was categorise. Um, so so the the person coming in can choose what they want, and there's various categories, and that's done by the different food groups to try and ensure they would get a balanced sh shop. So we've used the kind of eat well guide um, uh, for the UK to separate the items so people can choose. So I had a bit of experience coming um, coming from working in food aid and and knowing how difficult it is. And as Sabine said, we kind of didn't want there to be any feeling of pressure or you should be doing this or, or concerns if a food bank wasn't able to achieve it. So we wanted the guidance to be very much there as a kind of optional thing if people wanted to look into it but the way we we set it out so that there's lots of different um, areas for example we've got one for diabetes we've got one for infants there's one for just sort of generally creating healthy parcels one for different allergies and then there's different cultural ones as well so food banks can think oh, we have a lot of this population or we're seeing people with this particular condition and what the guideline um, does is as a the first page has a little bit of information about whatever condition it is so it sort of explains what the a little bit about what the nutrition is and why and then on the next page again we've separated into the different food groups and kind of put as many ideas 
as we can of different foods from the different food groups and then a little bit for if you've got access to fresh food what you could also include um, and what an example of a parcel might look like and then alongside that there's recipes available which um, we have actually tested ourselves to make sure that it works using those ingredients so th those are all available um, and it's and at um, center point along with the social supermarket in a lot of our services we've installed emergency food cupboards which is almost like a little on-site food bank so we we use them as well um, and I, I just wanted them to be as kind of accessible to as many people as possible so I've, I've tried to go into it with that in mind. Mm. I mean it sounds like the key to this is is pragmatic advice and I mean we've talked mm. a lot about nutrition in, in the podcast uh, in various ways and I think that's a message that's come through often is pragmatic advice that is uh, is tailored to 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 what individuals are most interested in. And, and one exa example of this is thinking about the fact that oftentimes people don't have the facilities to cook with. Yeah. So if they have can't afford food, they oftentimes can't afford the electric or the gas. And so Isabel has put together an, some no cook no cook guidelines and no cook recipes. So you know there's that thought of as well. And um, we actually got quite a bit of really constructive feedback from our members didn't we Isabel on yeah you know, what they wanted to what they wanted and what they felt was missing initially in terms mm. of like you know well you wouldn't be able to <laughs> add that if you didn't have you know it was it was really it was it was really collaborative the 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 work on this um you know, and, and and it's been really useful to our members and it's still ongoing what, what are the ones that you're still working on, Elizabeth? Um, we're just finalising, I think, um, Southeast Asian and West African um, guidelines. And I'm also finalising the kind of general healthy eating one. And then we've also got some for dairy-free, gluten-free and vegetarian and vegan mm -hmm. diets, which are draft phase, but ho hopefully done soon. And a few more recipes, which we can put out as well, which... Oh, and the halal guidelines as well. Those are, those are done. So that we're we're trying to kind of cover as many as many bases as possible and think about different cultural backgrounds and helping food banks to provide appropriate foods. As Dee said, that's obviously really important. If you are given a bag of food which you're not used to, you're not familiar with cooking, it's it is much more difficult Absolutely. for you. And this feels really positive that we're being able to, you know, cater to so many needs, mm. but it also is representative of the scale of the need that mm. so many different groups are impacted and that we really need to be thinking about all of these needs across the board. I mean, there's just so many people that need help. Mm. And the fact that if, if, you're, if you're using a food bank again and again, as Sabine said, um, it... <laughs> It, it can exacerbate any health problems you have. You're more likely to use a food bank or be in food poverty if you've got health problems. And if you're food insecure, you're more likely to end up with health problems. So, uh, I mean, as Sabine was saying earlier, you don't, we don't want to kind of really promote how healthy, <laughs> making food banks really healthy because they, they just we just shouldn't be needing to use them. But pragmatically, the fact is, um, you know, people are having to use them long term 
And if we can try and give them better quality of food while they're having to do that, that's that's the aim. Do you, given that um, you have, uh, what was it, 400 languages spoken in the area? Yeah, almost yeah. 400. Um, yeah. Are you, are you uh, taking advantage of, of some of these, um, some of this advice from the Independent Food Aid Network uh, in the food provision that you do? Um, most definitely, but, you know, I think one of the really good things about the, you know, Independent Food Aid Network is that we share knowledge, we share experiences, so it literally is sort of user-led, as, as it were. We feed things from sort of our experiences of dealing with diverse communities, as well as feeding back what you know, it's fed back to us by people who benefit from our services as well. So most definitely, truly, truly participatory. That's great. And that's, I think, probably a lovely point uh, to, to wrap this up on. Um, Sabine, I'll give you the last word. Uh, this is for the BMJ's Christmas charity appeal. So uh, how is it that people can donate well, if you're if you if you can support the Independent Food Aid Network's work, then please go to our website, www.foodaidnetwork.org.uk, and you can find a donate button there. And your donation will help support our work in the in the here and now, in the immediate, but also our work to campaign and advocate for the changes that would would end the need for charitable food aid in the first place. So, as Sabine said, you can donate at foodaidnetwork.org.uk slash bmj and as always I'll put links to that in the podcast text it's really easy all you have to do is click a few buttons that's it for this episode we'll be back soon with more from our second wave podcast so subscribe in all the usual places so you can hear how the pandemic is really affecting the NHS until then I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.